Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Why Do I Care? I'm your host, Toby Favalora, and today we have a very special guest. Uh, State Rep Ken Gordon is here, and we are going to ask some questions. We're going to do a quick interview. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Hello, State Rep. How are you today? I'm good, Toby. Thank you for inviting me to come onto your podcast. This yeah, is exciting. Thank you for fun. thank you for being here. I'm so excited for this opportunity, and you are just I'm glad that you're our rep. It's it's I don't know, I'm very proud to have you as our rep. Thank you. Um, so proud to be your rep. Yeah. Uh, just diving in, kind of to some of the questioning. Um, you are a state rep, right? So yes. that means that you Massachusetts how they work is it's kind of like what the federal government does, but on a smaller scale. So why do you think people should care more about state and local? elections in government as opposed to some of the federal stuff that we spend almost all of our time because here in massachusetts we pass laws that reflect our values in massachusetts sometimes our values in massachusetts are different than the than the um than the laws in in context to the laws that are passed federally um our state is a state that focuses on an economy that's based on science for example and so our laws reflect that uh, our education is really focused on teaching sciences and things like that. Um, and, and our values come through. We're a state with about 6 million people. And therefore, we can focus on you know, what, what we need for our 6 million people. At the same time, you know, not to get far into it, but we read a lot about what goes on in Congress and the federal government and all of the political infighting that goes on in Washington and the way that I think laws are sometimes passed, at least this is what we read in the media, that reflect a political fight. In Massachusetts, in the state legislature, we don't fight like that. You know, we, we are predominantly members of the Democratic Party. We have, uh, we have Republican members as well. But I can tell you that when we discuss policy, when we discuss legislation, laws, and, and investing in the, through our state budget, we listen to the best ideas that are out there and we bring forward the best ideas that are out there. I mean, certainly those leaders of the Democratic Party are the ones that choose which get you know picked first. But we also listen to people from the Republican Party if they say, well, you know, the things that we would like to change about that idea, the things that we think we need to amend, essentially, we listen to that and we respond oftentimes. So we're not there sort of as an ego contest. We're there to do the best thing we can for the residents of Massachusetts. That sounds oddly refreshing based on everything that's happened in Washington, everything that's dominating the news cycle. So what are some of the things that state state government would do that the federal government doesn't really have as direct control on? You already mentioned some of the stuff with the economy and the schools, but are there any other things in which the state government has more power, I guess, than the federal government? Well, right now, I think what's in the news currently today is the 5th of May is the draft opinion that just came out overturning Roe versus Wade. Uh, the the uh, Supreme Court says, well, we're going to turn this authority over to the states. If the state wants to um, have some say in the way that a woman has decisions, can make decisions over her health care um, needs and, and what happens to her body, fine. Here in Massachusetts, anticipating that something like that might happen, we didn't think it was going to be so fast or that an opinion was going to be written with really such you know, such a, such emotion behind it, mm -hmm. but we knew that something was going to happen. And so we passed what's called the Roe Act um, in the end of last session. It was difficult to do because you have 160 people in the House 
and another 40 in the Senate. And, you know, you're not going to agree on all the details of all the things, right? But what we do is we negotiate out um, the best proposals that we can. And we came out with our law, which says that in the event that Roe versus Wade were to be overturned, we still protect a woman's right to healthcare decisions over her own body. It was vetoed by the governor, but we had enough votes in the legislature that we got it passed anyway. Uh, it's now the law of land. And really we're at the point where the governor said just today that we're also now concerned about the rights of, of women that may come into Massachusetts because of the safety that we're going to be offering to women who make this decision um, to make sure that we can provide some degree of safety and see how we can to visitors as well. I mean, this is really going to be a life altering uh, a topic for people, especially young people. And I appreciate your show. Why do I care? Why do young people care? I was having a conversation about this just earlier today. You know, I, I'm sort of, I guess I'm at third base. I'm rounding third in, in, in my lifetime. I've lived most of the years that, I don't want to sound more, but you know, yeah. I'm in my 60s, right? If you're a teenager now, if you're a young person, your 20s, your teens now, your whole life is ahead of you. And the society that I grew up in is really a free society. And that means it's a free society for both men and for women. Women of childbearing age right now all grew up at a time where they where women could make decisions over their own body. They're not used to a world where where, where, where that wasn't the case. And so whether it's that or any other right to privacy, which also was implicated in the Supreme Court decision recently, um, I think we need to we need to think about that. And, and young people need to think about what is this country going to look like going forward? Because it may not look like the country that my parents grew up in. And that's really concerning. And that's a reason for young people to take a leadership role right now to say, we're shaping this country at a point of change one way or the other. And I need to be able to kind of think about my values and the way I'd like to see this country move, this state move, and then this country move. Um, am, I, am I going to be part, am I going to be on that, that, that group of people that can make a difference? Because we we need young people right now to make a difference now more than ever. Yeah, that's very well said and very good points. And before you did mention uh, the governor uh, attempting to veto that. So that kind of brings me to my next um, question segment, I, mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, so uh, there is going to be in 2022, um, Governor Baker said he was not planning to run again. Right. So there is a kind of open governor spot. So I'm not necessarily going to ask you who you are hoping or who, who you're going to like endorse. I'm, I'm asking more general. So what qualities are you hoping that uh, our next governor will have? With the governor or any leadership position in our government. So I, and the reason I ran for this in the first place, I really think that being involved in the creation of policy of the laws that we follow, of how we invest our taxpayer funds, making sure that we respect the value of tax dollars, that those that's hard earned money that our taxpayers are paying and we need to be, um, we need to guard it, right? We need to be very careful of how we use it. All of that requires, I think, um, that the candidate be prepared. What has that candidate done to prepare them for the leadership role that they want to take? Um, what are they gonna do? What are their plans? That's important, but are they experienced? Are they prepared? You know, I, I think that before you run for governor, you need to have something under, you know, something in your in your history that shows 
this is what I've demonstrated. This is what I've done. So not only can I talk about what I want to do, but I can show to you, I can show you that I've taken steps to be able to actually accomplish the plans and the ideas that I have. So that's what I look for is someone that's done the work to show us, the voters, you know, that I'm ready for this. And kind of on that line, what policies do you wish that the next governor is going to kind of bring in or be like a trailblazer for? We have, I mean, we have, we have a lot, we do have a lot of issues here that we have to fix. And that's what we do in government. We solve problems. So our transportation system is running at a deficit. We need to look at the operating budget of the MBTA and, and really the roads and the bridges because our economy is a strong one. It's among one of the strongest in the country, right? Um, and the reason that our, that companies want to come here is because of access to our people. We have a great educational system all the way through public schools, colleges, community colleges, um, our um, regional vocational technical schools, all the way through, they want access. And therefore, they're gonna to continue to come to Massachusetts because the only place they can get our very well-educated and well-trained workforce. What, what frustrates these companies though, is that they have trouble getting you know, getting here. They have trouble on our roads. They're, there's a lot of traffic when we're at full employment um, and, and our public transportation system needs to be updated. So we have to invest in the things that we need to keep our economy going. Because if we can do that, then we can provide the benefits that we need for people to live a better life. So we need to protect our educational system, keep that strong, make our transportation system better. And housing is the last thing that we really have to improve on. It's very, very expensive. Students coming out of college um, can't afford to live around here. And it's really a tough thing when someone growing up in Bedford leaves college, they've got a degree and they want to come home to Bedford and they look around and they say, I can't afford this. And their parents say, if I was your age now, if I hadn't, you know, at, at the, if I had to buy a house in Bedford now, I couldn't either. And I have a career that, you know, that, that, that I've, uh, that's behind me. I still can't. So we really need to look at housing opportunities. Again, people, businesses aren't going to come here if they can't find places for their workers to live. So those are very important. Um, person, I don't know if you, if you uh, are looking for this, but personally to that end, I filed a bill that would provide for universal childcare and pre-K. So for every uh, child, every family really in Massachusetts, they would pay no more than 7% of their uh, wages to childcare so that they have a place to bring their children, um, which would be safe and a and effective uh, studies all show that kids who can go to preschool are almost always ahead of the game when it comes to public education um, all the way through high school they're, they're always a step ahead so this is a benefit that we'll just keep on giving uh, at the same time what this bill does is it makes sure that our preschool teachers are paid a, a reasonable wage because they're underpaid the turnover is tremendous it, it's not good for the teachers it's not good for the businesses it's not good for the families and this is also a business friendly idea. It's a business friendly bill because one of the, you know, a lot of our businesses are saying, I don't have access to workers. I can't find workers. I have all these help wanted signs I can't fill. And they've told me, you know, I'll get people sometimes, it's, um, a majority of women come to me and say, I'd like to fill out a job application. I tell them when they have to work and what we pay. And they say, my, the cost of, that I have to pay someone to take care of my child is more than what I would make. It's not worth it. Or even if it's pretty close to what I would make, it's still not worth it. I can't do it. 
So this would really address all of those needs. And I think that's a good investment of our, of our tax money to, in a way that helps so many people. So that's one way that I think we help our economy. Do yeah, those things. I, I totally agree. And that was a perfect kind of transition to the, my next line, uh, uh, line of questioning, uh, your current policy. So um, your most would you say that might be uh, one of your most ambitious goals or your, your the current goal that you're working to? Would you say that is uh, what your mind is on right now? Well, to take one little step back and then answer your question, which is yes. <laughs> uh, Two, year, two sessions ago, uh, we passed um, paid family and medical leave here in Massachusetts. And I authored, I co-authored that. I was one of the authors of that. I filed the bill on the House side that resulted in the law that we passed as part of what we call the grand bargain. When we, we, we put it into a negotiation with other bills to come up with something that would address the needs of small business and our workers. And that was really an important part of it. Um, the United States is one of only three countries in the in the world who are members of the UN who don't have a program to help families that have a child spend some time with their child for a limited amount of time right after the child is born or adopted, um, so that they can do they can afford to do that by replacing some of the wages they would have made had they been out at work. Right, um, basically give them some time off and some income during that time off helps businesses because the businesses um, uh, can still have access to that worker. So that worker goes out on leave and the program pays that worker. And then the business doesn't have to pay that worker during that leave time. Now they can take their money and use it to pay somebody else to get the work done. Um, and then that worker can come back. They don't have to be retrained. They don't have to pay money for recruiting. It was a tremendously important bill that we were in. I'm really proud of that. I think it's one of the more complex and and uh, and and really an important bills that we were able to get in Massachusetts is now one of only two states currently that has a program like this that had to start fresh. You know, we we had nothing like it before, and so Massachusetts and Washington did that together. Um, the White House at that point invited. This was during the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. They invited representatives from different states to work together on this program. And I was honored to be the person from Massachusetts that came in. So we, that, so it's no coincidence that we did it with another state, which was Washington. Connecticut is just about to um, put their program in place. But as this has been rolled out, there have been bugs in the system as there always is. So I've remained vigilant in watching for those bugs and bringing to the attention of the legislative leadership and eventually the administration when we need to fix things. So right up until last week, I continued to fix things in those programs. But when we, which isn't to say that things are really wrong, it just means bugs, adjustment that needs to be made. So when we passed that, I got a call from the uh, advocates from what we call Raise Up Massachusetts, which is the group that represents a lot of the lower paid workers, a lot of workers, including lower paid workers. And I said, okay, what can we do next? And I told them, okay, we just took care of, we just addressed the needs of families who have newborn children, um, the first 12 weeks of the child's life or newly adopted children or children and other family members who go to the hospital for a period of time, call it 12 weeks, but some of it is a little longer. We just did that. What happens at 12 weeks? Now the child needs to go and you know if the family member that was caring for the child oftentimes it would be the woman uh, needs to get back to work and they don't have a family member nearby to bring their child you know for for, for daycare what do they do 
um, they turn around and they say, okay, who can care for my child? And it's just too expensive. It's out of their reach. And they can't go back to work, even if they want to, in many cases. And so that's when I talked about, we need a program for early childhood education and for childcare, this program I just talked to you. So that has been my focus this session, along with, I, I chair the, what we call the joint committee on uh, public service. We, we oversee pensions for public workers like teachers, uh, police, fire, um, people who do jobs like that. Um, we oversee their pensions. We oversee what we call civil service, which is the system by which people can become police officers or firefighters in public employee healthcare. So that's kept us busy. We've got about 400 yeah. bills that we manage through our committee. We've pretty much done most of all of them by now. Uh, and, and we get a lot of good policy that we address. That, that sounds fantastic. And um, we are running out of time. So it's time for the, uh, the final question, arguably the most important one. I did not tell you this before, but I was going to surprise you. Okay. What is your favorite type of ice cream? My favorite type of ice cream it's got to be moose tracks. Moose tracks. Yeah. Full choice. And which is a fair place to get ice cream? Is it Bedford Farms? Or of you course. Say, yeah, that's a good answer. Good <laughs> that's answer. That's the only answer, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it was fantastic talking to you. And if you have any parting words for the viewers now, the mic is yours. Thanks. I appreciate that. You know what? I do have parting words, which is this show. Why do I care? Folks, we really do. I mean, it's... Uh, that's really my advice to you. This world, as I said, it's a changing world and you can be part of it. You can be part of the solution as you see fit. You might or might not agree with some of the policies that I just talked about. It doesn't matter. The fact is, is you can make a difference if you step up and you become and you and you, and you become part of it, whether it be voting at elections. That's important. Young people don't vote to the same percentage as older folks. I don't know why, but I want you to think about it because it's more important to you with all of your life ahead of you that you get involved in shaping the society and, and you should do that. Um, you know, when it comes time to thinking about volunteering to, here in Bedford, there are a lot of volunteer opportunities, you know, after college and all that, when you have time to do that, you can think about that too. We live in a great, in a great town, which allows a lot of opportunity for people. So think about that too. But start with voting. Start with maybe thinking about checking out town meeting when you're back. Um, it's it's great to participate in democracy. Wow. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate the podcast. Yeah, no problem.